Well, good morning. Well, it's an exciting day in the life uh, of this church from my perspective today. I'm getting installed. You've received me. You've accepted me. You've allowed me to stick around for five months. And I know that, you know, those who are present here, there's some of you have come up to me even this morning and said, I'm coming back tonight at 6 p.m. to be part of your installation service. Thank you. I, you know, it's one of those interesting things where, you know, when I feel like I'm being uh, uh, encouraged and, uh, and celebrated in some ways, you know, I, I, I don't like the attention. I want to, you know, shift the attention back to those around me and to the true one who's worthy of celebrating Jesus. Uh, and so, like birthdays, I don't really like to invite people. It's just this weird thing, but it's been so encouraging for those coming up to me and uh, just saying their words of encouragement, their love, and their support. And for those of you who uh, are watching online right now, also want to let you know that uh, tonight's service will be streaming live. And so if you don't want to come back or if you're watching now, you can simply do that. It's going to be a great evening at 6 p.m. I also want to let you know, Bel Air, that you received an award last night uh, by child share in the county of Los Angeles. I was there in a tuxedo, no less, shaved, yes. <laughs> Some people are like, you shaved? Yes, yes, I do. You know, okay, you noticed, yeah. But last night, uh, we, there was a wonderful child share gala that I simply received on behalf of all of you in the work that this church has done in the lives of so many through that organization. A pretty good deal. You know, the second weekend of my role, they say, hey, we want you to come accept an award. I didn't do anything for that award. You did it, so I just wanted to pass that on to you. And my mom, uh, silent bid auction, won Usher tickets, so she was really excited about that. <laughs> she was, <laughs> wow, mom, okay. He's a great dancer, okay, okay. Yeah, it was, it was quite, a, quite a moment last night. Well, here we are. We're starting a brand new series. This is a seven-week series on the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles, perhaps uh, you brought them with you or you have them on your phone, uh, we're going to go to the gospel according to Mark. And as we go to the gospel according to Mark, we're going to go to um, the beginning of that. And you'll see it even up on the screens here chapter 4, verse 26. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but I want you to see also the words of the New Revised Standard Version. So I want you to keep that open and have it open on your lap for a while. And now that you have it open in front of you, I want you to look back up at the screens, and we're going to read together. This is from the New International Version, different than your pew Bibles, but let's read together. This is God's Word. And before I read, remember... Scripture says about itself that even though heaven and earth will one day pass away, God's Word, this truth, will always remain. So let us read together. This is Jesus talking. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This, my friends, is God's Word. So keep those, those Bibles open. Now, now look back down. You'll see those last two words, and this is just the beginning part of that 26th verse in chapter 4, and it ends with the phrase, is like. Jesus comes and He says, the kingdom of God is like. And it's one of the common phrases that He has in His ministry, the kingdom of God is like. Now, the only time somebody will ever use that phrase, is like, is when they are trying to communicate something to someone who has never experienced what they're trying to describe. 
So for example, growing up, people told me stories about Yosemite. Yosemite Valley, that great place north of us. And they would tell me stories of Half Dome and the falls and Winona Tunnel and, and the great places of El Capitan and the, the beautiful meadows. And they told me all these stories and I even saw pictures. They would describe it to me. And yet, for many years of my life, I only knew what it was like. I hadn't yet experienced it for myself. I was relying on a second-hand account. I was relying on somebody else's experience, and they would often say to me, it's kind of like this. When you go there, it's kind of like this. Drew, you've never been, but it's kind of like this. And whatever they said after that phrase is like was something that I had experienced. So for example, people would say, well, it's kind of like, you know, when you're hiking up in the, the San Bernardino Mountains, it's kind of like that, but better. Okay, well, I've hiked up there. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of understanding. Well, it's kind of like, you know, you're stepping into a painting. Okay, I've seen a painting, but I've never stepped into one. Okay, I'm trying to understand it, and they're trying to describe it to me, yet I hadn't yet experienced what it was like to step into, to see, to, to smell, to hear, to feel, to experience Yosemite. And so finally, about three years ago, a group of friends and I went up on Memorial Day weekend. We knew it was going to snow, and so we prepared ourselves, and we packed up, and we had snowshoes even that we rented from the local sports store, and we went up there. We had our place reserved, our backpacking permit to be able to go in and backpack up into the, the wilderness and to set camp. And I remember, never forget, driving through that tunnel, the Wawona Tunnel, and all of a sudden as we came through, And all I can say is it was kind of like sitting in the front row of an IMAX theater. I mean like the big ones, not like the 40-foot screen or the 50-foot screen, but like the 110-foot screen where you're in the front row. You're not in the back row, you're in the front row. You're so close that you can't focus on everything at once. You've got to like crane your head to be able to see everything. And I didn't realize that as I went through that tunnel, experiencing it for the first time, that the things that people had described to me, El Capitan, Half Dome, the valley, the falls, all these places, I didn't realize I could see all of that from one vantage point. And we got there and, and, we, and we spent the night, first night, in the valley, and then we began to hike up this amazing trail, and we got there on the crest, and we set up camp, and it was this phenomenal experience. I remember in the middle of the night hearing this sound, and I thought it was a bear, and I was terrified. I was half awake, but it was really just snow coming down. Woke up the next morning. We had two feet of snow on our tent. We were not prepared for that. We knew it was going to snow, but not for two feet, and so we ended up coming out and, and zipping out. We were running around in our snowshoes. It was an amazing experience. We came back down eventually later that day, and we enjoyed pizza down in one of these places. It was the best pizza I'd ever eaten. And I remember after that three-day experience up in Yosemite, I realized that all the things that people had used to describe Yosemite, they were true, but it was so much more. There was something, there was something more profound about actually being there myself. And I remember coming back and telling other people, kind of now reverse role, telling people, oh, you've never been to Yosemite? It's kind of like, and I would tell them stories. But I would always end it with this, yeah, but you've got to go there. You've got to experience it for yourself. The words do not do it justice. And in many ways, Jesus comes to us and he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. 
We know what a mustard seed is, but we don't know what the kingdom of God is. And so he comes from experiencing the kingdom of God, and he uses words to describe what this kingdom of God is. But very differently than me having to travel to Yosemite to experience it, he, in a sense, brought the kingdom of God to us. So rather than saying you've got to go to Yosemite, it's like Yosemite has come to you. Because not only did Jesus come to describe the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed. It's like a farmer. It's like some yeast and some dough that spreads. He not only described it, but he demonstrated it. In fact, almost every time in which he describes the kingdom of God, he demonstrates it as well with miracle, with power. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God, people experienced, they saw, they tasted, they felt, they heard. So this series, this seven-week series, which I'm going to start and we're going to go through, and President of Florida Seminary, Mark Laberton, will conclude the seven-week series at the end of this series. He's agreed to it. In fact, I was on the phone with him earlier this week, and he said, this is perfect. I'm writing a book right now that's coming out next week on this very topic, so I'd be happy to end this sermon series with all of you at Bel Air. So let's, let's, let's step back for a moment. I've got three questions for us as we dive back into this idea of what the kingdom of God is. And my goal across these seven weeks is simply to do this, to reduce the gap from what you've heard about the kingdom of God, to reduce the gap between that and your experience of the kingdom of God. You know, it's one thing to hear about the kingdom of God. It's another thing to experience it. So my goal in these seven weeks is to reduce that gap. For you to not settle for a secondhand account of the kingdom of God. For you not to rely on other people's experiences and how they've experienced a life transformed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but that you personally, tangibly, you yourself would experience what life is like in the kingdom of God. But first, what is the kingdom of God? You know, you look at Scripture, and there's so many different descriptions of the kingdom of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, there's some verses that say it has to do with now. But there's some verses that say it has to do with the future. There's some verses that say it's a place that people can enter into now, but there's also some verses that say that it's a place that people can enter into tomorrow. Some verses say it's an inner spiritual blessing, but some verses say that it has to do with the government of all the nations of the world. Some verses say that it's a gift of God that will be given to those in the future, but also there's some verses that say that you have to receive it right now. What is the kingdom of God? You know, so often we describe the kingdom of God using modern terms. In fact, if you go to the Webster Dictionary, the first thing that it says is that a kingdom is a place of which a king rules over. And so in our modern understanding of the kingdom, you know, we don't live in a monarchy here in the United States, but we are familiar with the United Kingdom, and we know that that is a place that you can travel to. You can literally hop on a plane and go to and experience. You know, you've got England and Northern Ireland, and of course there is a king. Yes, there is. But the kingdom of God is so much more than a place. In fact, Webster Dictionary also says that a kingdom is also the people, the citizens, the subjects who give allegiance to a king. 
And yes, if you were to go, let's say, to the United Kingdom and you were to go there, whether Northern Ireland or, or, or England, you would see that there are people there that are part of that, that kingdom. So yes, of course, there is a sense that the kingdom of God has to do with people that are part of it. But the problem is, is when we just use modern definitions to describe this ancient thing that Jesus talks about, we don't get the full picture of what the kingdom of God is. Yes, it's a place. It's never less than a place, but it's actually so much more. Yes, it's a people, but then it's never less than people, but it's, but it's actually so much more. In fact, when you go to Webster's Dictionary, it actually says below that that there is an archaic definition. It literally says this in the Webster Dictionary that we have today. It says that there's an out-of-date, an ancient definition of kingdom. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The ancient definition of kingdom is simply this. The authority, the royal power, the right to rule, the kingship, the throne of a king. The reign, the rule, the power, the might of a king. And so when Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's not just talking about a place, he's not just talking about a people, but he's talking about a royal power that has existed for all of eternity. In fact, there's a Hebrew word and a, and a Greek word that are used to describe this, this idea of kingdom. In fact, the, the Hebrew word that we find throughout the Old Testament is this word, it's malkuth. And the Greek word in the New Testament that we get the word kingdom from is basileia. And it always means power, authority, and sovereignty that is exercised by a king. So the kingdom of God is the active reign and rule of God. It is God's authority. It is God's exclusive right to the throne. It is God's royal power. But what about all those verses that say that it's a place that you, that you can enter into? Well, what would royal power be without a place over which that power is exercised? And what about the verses that say it's a people? Well, where would royal power be if there were no people over which to exercise that reign and rule? I said a moment ago the kingdom of God is never less than a place, but it's always more. It's never less than a group of people, but it's always more. When the word refers to God's kingdom, it always refers to his reign, his rule, his sovereignty, and not just the realm or the place or even the people over which it is exercised. In fact, Psalm 103 says this, the Lord God has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God's kingdom, his malkuth, his universal reign and rule, his sovereignty over all the earth. Psalm 145 verse 11 says, they, all the people, shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and tell of thy power. In Psalm 145, it says, God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. And yet at the same time, it says, Scripture says that one day heaven and earth, this place that we see, we experience, we walk through life, will one day pass away. But yet God's word and God's reign, God's rule, God's kingdom will always remain. And so when you understand the kingdom of God as the, the reign of God, the power of God, the authority of God, then all of a sudden all these other verses begin to make sense. 
Because God has eternally reigned over all things. And there's a place that we call heaven of which his reign and his rule are perfect and full. But we are now in this place, and if you look at the trajectory of human history, we are in a place right now that in many ways is longing for the perfection and the fullness of that reign and rule. God describes his kingdom as a place where there is peace, where there is joy, there is no sadness, there is no death, there is no cancer, there is no traffic on the 405, that there is wholeness. There's satisfaction, there's vibrancy, that we all have a purpose, but yet we live in this place and we don't experience that. And yet throughout all of eternity, God's kingdom has that. And so when God says through Jesus, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, or the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that makes its way and spreads throughout the entire loaf of dough. He's saying that the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the power of God, the authority of God, in some ways starts out small in your hearts and in your minds and in this place and in your churches and in your families, but one day it will spread throughout the whole thing. It will grow beyond your wildest dreams. And so what we are going to do for these seven weeks is we're going to talk about what the kingdom of God is. It's not just words, it's not just an idea, it's not just in the future, it's not only now, it's both and. It's a present reality, it's a, it's a future reality, but it's existing right now in this moment. And Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So why is Jesus qualified to speak on what the kingdom of God is like. I mean, why him? Why, why should we listen to him? Perhaps some of you today, whether you're listening online or you're here physically in this space, you might say, well, well, what does Jesus have to do with this? You know, there's a lot of great teachers. There's a lot of great leaders. There's some phenomenal people that describe how we should live, how we should create this utopia. What qualifies Jesus to speak this? I want, I want to read to you out of the book of Hebrews and this says it so much better than I ever could. This is Hebrews chapter one where the writer is talking about Jesus. And even as you hear these words, I want you to, when you hear the word kingdom, think about that idea of power and authority and royal, the royal right to reign and rule. This is Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustained all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Listen to this. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says this, let all of God's angels worship him. And about the son, about Jesus, God the Father says this, your throne, O God, now listen to this, God the Father is speaking to God the Son and says, your throne, O God. Jesus is so much more than a teacher, he's so much more than a prophet, he's so much more than somebody who does signs and wonders, he is God in the flesh. God the Father says to God the Son, your throne, O God, 
will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God also says in the beginning, O Lord, speaking about Jesus, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. If you've been around here long enough, even if you are new to Bel Air, you've quickly come to understand that Jesus is so much more than a teacher, a prophet. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is God in the flesh. If you go back to a sermon earlier in the spring to go through the Emmaus journey, for example, you'll see that Jesus has existed long before than we ever imagined. We find him in places in the Old Testament, places that we never would imagine. Jesus is the representation of God's royal power and rule. And if we want to know what it is like to have God as king, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwells in him. And the key is this. Jesus has experienced fully and perfectly the kingdom of God throughout all of eternity. Kind of like when I went to Yosemite and I experienced it and I came back and described it to people, Jesus has, for all of eternity, experienced what it's like to have God on the throne. He's experienced God's perfect reign and rule in Jesus' own life. And he comes to us and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is uniquely qualified more than anyone else to tell us because he's experienced it throughout all of eternity. Every other teacher of every world religion points to truth. They say, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to live. This is what you have to avoid to somehow gain this nirvana or utopia or, or to be freed from all the things of this world. Every leader, every teacher of every world religion, every major movement, they point to a truth outside of themselves and say, this is what you have to do. Here's the path. And Jesus says, I have come to you. I am the truth. I'm not pointing the truth. I, I, I am the truth. And so not only did Jesus describe the kingdom of God, but he demonstrated it. So what does that have to do with us today? What is the kingdom of God? What does the reign and the rule and the power and the authority of God have to do with us? Well, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come upon you. You don't have to go somewhere to find it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to travel to it. You don't have to build it. It's actually a reality. It is eternally existent, and it has come to you. You know, when you receive Jesus as your king, when you experience him as your king, your Lord, your authority, you will eventually give to him and get from him much more than you bargained for in the beginning. At first, you simply give him your attention, but then you give him your consideration, then you give him your thoughts, your, your dreams, your heart. Then you give him your strengths, you even give him your weaknesses, your finances, your relationships. And as you continue to give more and more to Jesus, <clears throat> you eventually reach a point when you realize that there is truth. 
that has existed for all of eternity, that you have always been His. I have a son who's two and a half years old. His name's Judah. Many of you have seen him. You've seen him run around here. He exists because a group of people accepted the kingdom of God in their life. And I don't have time to tell you the fullness of the story of how he came to be, but there was a day in which I sat in front of a doctor with my wife, and the doctor looked at Eric and I, and after running a whole bunch of tests, they said, Drew and Erica, I'm so sorry, but medically speaking, it is impossible for you to have children. I would give up financially and emotionally in having your own kids. And in that moment, our world was turned upside down. The reason we were given that diagnosis is because we live in a place, in a realm of which is broken. And Scripture says that for a time of which we are existing right now, that there is kind of a, a temporary ruler of this world and is God's enemy. And the marks of the enemy's kingdom is brokenness, infertility, sadness and fear and doubt and disease and death. And the kingdom of God broke into our life. You see, it wasn't just a place, it wasn't just people, but it was the power of God in such a miraculous way that our son was born on April 15, 2012 in a way that we never would have imagined. And the reason why he is alive today is because there are dozens of people who submitted to the authority of God, the rule of God in their life, the reign of God in their life, and who came forward and said, we want to help. You are our brother and sister in Christ, and we want to come alongside you, and we want to serve you, and we look at our kids, and we see them as such a gift, and we want to help. And now you might be wondering, okay, how on earth did that son get born? I'm going to tell you later on in this sermon series, get you coming back, see how I did that, <laughs> little huck. But let me just tell you that every time I pick up my son, well, no, I, I can't even say that. It'd be, I would be untrue if I said that every time I pick up my son, I think about what a gift he is and the kingdom of God has come to me through people's obedience to Christ. I take it for granted. When he's crying, he's screaming, and, and I'm up to here with him sometimes. And in that moment, I have to confess. I have to say, God, I'm so sorry for taking for granted the things that you have blessed me with that you have given me. And I know some of that might not make sense. You might still wonder, okay, how, tell me. Tell me the story, Drew. Well, I want you to come back. I'm going to tell you in a couple weeks. But it wasn't a miracle in the sense that all of a sudden my wife got pregnant. There's a lot of those wonderful stories. Medically still speaking, it's impossible, according to doctors, for my wife and I to have a child. And yet we have a child who is biologically 100% ours. And yet still we can't have a child. How did that work? I'm getting you to come back. You see this? <laughs> but when you hear the story of how he came to be, it was simply because there was a group of people that seeked first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that passage in Matthew 26, 
When I understood that the kingdom of God is the reign of God, the rule of God, the authority of God, the power of God, the royal authority, the right to the throne of God, then all of a sudden all those passages began to, to unlock. And to seek first the kingdom of God is not to seek some place only or some people only, but it's to seek in your own life God's reign, God's rule, God's authority. It's not to worry about all the things that you're trying to attain, trying to accomplish, trying to do in your own power, but you are seeking the authority of God in your life, and God will provide for you way better than He can provide for yourself. In the way Paul prays, now to Him who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. How our Son came to be isn't how He asked, nor is it how He imagined. And in fact, it's way more than we thought we ever could ask, or way more than we ever thought we could imagine. But as we left the doctor's appointment that day, it was my wife, not me, who said, Drew, I think we should pray. It's my wife, not me. I'm the pastor. I should have said that. I'm still reeling at the news that the doctor just gave us. You will never have your own child. And she says, let's pray. In that moment, in the midst of heartache, she invited the kingdom of God into her life, into our life. The reign and rule of God, and she submitted to Him, she trusted Him. Boy, when you hear this story, it's a great story. If I was to be, a, you know, a, a character in Scripture, I think the only thing of my life that would be included perhaps in Scripture would be this story. It's that phenomenal. Yet at the same time, it's my story. It's my experience of the kingdom of God. And you will hear of my first-hand account, but it will be your second-hand account. And I don't want you to settle for my story. I don't want you to settle for the amazing stories of Scripture as the only experience of the kingdom of God. I don't want you to settle for your, your small group leaders or your Bible study leaders or the people that you look up to or your mentors. I don't want you to settle for just their firsthand experiences. You've got to see it for yourself. You've got to experience it for yourself. You've got to taste it. You've got to hear it. You've got to treasure it. You've got to invest it for yourself. We're just getting started on this seven-week series. But the truth is, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come to us. Next week, we're going to explore what does it mean for us to enter into the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Let's be here to walk this journey together. Let's invite our neighbors, invite our friends, invite our coworkers to be here to not only hear about, but to experience firsthand the kingdom of God. Oh, how much this church will impact this world if we invite the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the power of God to come into our lives, to put Jesus where He's been all along, at the throne. But may we experience that. Would you pray with me? God, as we gather in this place, perhaps more questions have been raised than answered. And in so many ways, your description of the kingdom of God was so like that. It wasn't neat, it wasn't tidy, it wasn't packaged, but it left people intrigued, inquisitive, longing for more. 
God, you have reigned for all of eternity. And the truth is, you have come to us. And we have a choice to allow you to reign in our lives right now, presently, today. As we walk this journey together, God, would your kingdom of God break into our lives? And may we receive you with thanksgiving and joy. Because, God, your kingdom is the only thing that we can long for that doesn't leave us longing for more. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.